morning. Good morning. There's the dangerous seats up here in the front if you... <laughs> Speaking of vulnerability... <laughs> yeah, there's a brave one. People will do anything. Grab chairs off the racks. <laughs> right. The back rows, if the back rows full, just make a new back row. <laughs> Here we are on the last Sunday of Advent. Bringing yet one more series uh, to a close in some ways. Uh, it's been an adventure to think about uh, vulnerability over the past several weeks. Um, I have a sense that we won't be done with vulnerability. We may not be talking about it every week. But as uh, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this, as I began thinking about it a year or so ago, um, I realized how little, like so many things, how little we talk about it, and yet how much it is a daily experience for us. Right? Um, Speaking of vulnerability, we have... No, no, no. It's perfect. We should, uh, we have the new, the new, ba our new class baby. I mean, how can we not be excited about that? Yeah. Well, she won't be the only one asleep. Uh, and, and a little child shall lead them. <laughs> she just got a head start. Yeah. So I realized in, in thinking about these uh, lessons each week, how much I needed to think about vulnerability, how much uh, I needed to, to ponder it more deeply. Um, that's pretty much the case with anybody who teaches know that when you teach, um, you often teach what you need to learn. Um, some people think you teach what you already know. I, I've been looking for years to figure out what that would be. Uh, but I mainly teach things that I think I need to, to ponder more deeply, need to explore uh, more fully. And that's certainly been the case with this series on, on vulnerability. Just to remind us briefly, very quickly, uh, where we've been, and then we're going to do, we're going to talk a little bit about a couple different kinds of vulnerability, and then we want to talk about uh, the so-called "so what" question. What might we do with this in the the new year? Um, I have a couple of suggestions. Um, so we've been talking about vulnerability in the sense that, one, we all know that as human beings, if we even have a moment's honesty, uh, we are vulnerable. Okay, we are vulnerable. 
and we reminded ourselves just in the very etymology of the word, it, it comes from this word that means wound. And so we are capable of being wounded and we are capable of wounding others. And so we all bear wounds, um, some that have been inflicted upon us, and some of the wounds we bear are the memories of our wounding other people. Those are wounds as well. But all of us have wounds. Um, some of us have physical wounds. That, I mean, anybody in here have a scar? No, I'm not asking you to show it. Okay, please. No, it's the modest group. Um, I've often thought it, it interesting. I mean, presumably God could have created... I mean, it's, it's incredible, the human body, that even though we can be wounded, it can heal. I've often thought about, presumably God could have created us in such a way that when we healed, there would be no evidence of it at all. Absolutely none. No one ever know. <clears throat> Almost all of you have at least one scar. Visible. I mean, physical scar. Right? Um, that reminds you of some wounding in your life. I think that's probably a good thing, right? Because um, it reminds us of the other scars that we have that aren't visible. I mean, most of the scars I have, most of the scars you have aren't visible to other people. But they're there. They're there. I have them. You have them. And so this is part of what it means to be human, is to be able to have the capacity to be wounded and to wound. The part that's sort of been kind of astonishing over the past several weeks is, is we've tried to rehearse some familiar stories of uh, some familiar things about Scripture, the way that God has revealed who God is. And what we've found there, maybe as a reminder, maybe for the first time, is that the God revealed in Scripture, the God revealed in the history of Israel, the God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, the God revealed in the life of the church for 2,000 years is that this God is a vulnerable God. That this God is a vulnerable God. And not because vulnerability is itself a virtue, but that vulnerability is inseparable from loving in freedom. When you open yourself to seek someone else's well-being more than your own, which is what love is, right? To seek someone else's well-being. You open yourself, and you do that in freedom, right? You can't, you, you offer the person, to, to love some person, someone in freedom means that you're always open to being rejected, right? Uh, all of us can remember at least once in our life when we, we told another person that we loved them and we held our breath waiting for the reply. 
would there be a reply? Right? This might have been the first time that you'd revealed your love for that person. Would they receive it? Would they offer their own in return? Most of us have probably had experiences when it wasn't returned. Maybe it wasn't received. Maybe it wasn't welcomed. Was rejected. Hopefully, I hope all of us have experienced it being received. Right? But that's vulnerable. And that's a, that's a vulnerability. And to say that God is love, this very central affirmation that if we have to say one thing about God as Christians, it's not that God is powerful, it's not that, you know, God knows everything. The most thing, important thing that Christians want to say is that God is self-giving love. And that's vulnerable. God created us with the capacity to walk away. We can. We often do. So we, we worship a God that's vulnerable. And so what we've been trying to do the last few weeks is in rehearsing some of the Advent stories, the Christmas stories, is to remind ourselves how vulnerable this God really is. And what, what does that mean for us? Maybe, maybe part of what it means to be made in the image of God is our vulnerability. We often think of our vulnerability as a liability, something to be avoided, something to protect ourselves against. And what if there's at least some types of vulnerability, some occasions for vulnerability, when we ought to actually embrace our vulnerability, maybe try to live into that vulnerability rather than avoid it, deny it, protect ourselves from it? Is it possible that in living into our vulnerability, as uncomfortable as it may be, and it will be, we actually become more like God, which is God's design, right? God is trying to create us, recreate us into the image of Christ, who Christians say is the fullest image of God we'll ever get. So is it possible that living into our vulnerability more fully will actually make us more human, more human the way that Jesus was human, and in so doing, make us a better reflection, a, a pure reflection of God's own character. So that's what we've been trying to explore. Now one thing I want to start with today is just make a brief distinction between a couple different kinds of vulnerability, because vulnerability comes in lots of different flavors. I mean, we've talked about sort of physical vulnerability, emotional uh, vulnerability, all kinds of uh, interpersonal vulnerabilities. But there's one thing we haven't said, and and I want to talk about the difference between what we might call involuntary vulnerability and voluntary invulnerability. Okay. Now the reason I want to talk about that is, is I've been trying to think about the fact that um, there, are, there are people around us, and we have experiences where we find ourselves vulnerable in, in senses what we did not choose. 
We didn't choose to be vulnerable. There are other situations where we might actually choose to be vulnerable. And I think it might be important to distinguish those for a couple of reasons. Um, the main thing is uh, the church for a couple, uh, well, at least uh, over a thousand years has distinguished uh, involuntary poverty from voluntary poverty. Okay? And that's an important distinction. I mean, there are some people in the world who are poor through no choice of their own. And that kind of poverty, I mean, there's no virtue and it. it can be soul-crushing. And no one, would, no one would desire to live in that kind of poverty. It can just be crushing. But it's also interesting that in the history of the church, lots of Christians have chosen to be poor in solidarity with those who are involuntarily poor. They volunteered to be poor. Which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Not because they thought they could do the same thing. Uh, Mother, Mother Teresa, who is now Saint Mother Teresa, right, famously said, I mean, it, many of you know, she began uh, an order, the Missionary Sisters of Charity, whose sole calling was to take care of the world's poorest of the poor. And they take a vow of poverty that's much more severe than any other religious order. And the reason was she firmly believed that to, to love the poor, the involuntarily poor, they had to be poor themselves. Now she may be wrong about that, but that's what she thought. And she didn't just think it, she staked her life on it. And so the young women who were part of the missionary Sisters of Charity owned a change of clothes. They owned two white saris and a metal bucket to wash them in. That's their possessions. Okay? Two white saris, one you're wearing, one you're washing, and a metal bucket to wash it in. That's what they could own. Um, again, not because they thought owning things was evil. It wasn't about that. Okay, it wasn't about that. It was in order to experience and draw near to those who have no choice but to be poor. We, as servants of Christ, will choose to be poor alongside of them, share their lot, live alongside them, and be Christ to them. Did they think that was all the church was called to do? No. They thought lots of people were called to different things in the body of Christ. They thought that's what they were called to. But you can see that they knew they were voluntarily choosing to do this. And I think there might be something parallel going on when we talk about vulnerability. Uh, there are plenty of people around the world, in our city, in our state, in our country, around the world, who today are vulnerable in a way that I'm not through no choosing of their own. Okay. Um, and we could list a thousand examples before lunchtime. Okay. You pay enough attention to the news, you don't need me to tell you. Um, you'd, have to, you'd have to be completely asleep 
What'd I break, Tom? Your train of thought. My train of thought? Probably. <laughs> Thank you. It was just the gavel. Yeah. Yeah. That, that train probably left the tracks a long time ago anyway. <laughs> So no one is saying, okay, all we've said about vulnerability, no one's saying that vulnerability is itself a virtue. I mean, sometimes vulnerability is horrible, right? I mean, the one thing I've been, a lot of us have been thinking about is, you know, the vulnerability of the the people in the besieged city of Aleppo in Syria, right? Um, it's been going on for a very long time. And now they've been told that maybe there'll be safe passage. But they have a memory of this happening before, where people were given safe passage and were slaughtered on the way out. So you're a little vulnerable. Am I going to die here? Am I going to die on the way out? I mean, what am I going to do? Right? No one would choose that. And no one, certainly I would not ask anybody to embrace that kind of vulnerability. Okay. So we might call that, for lack of a better word, let's just call that involuntary <laughs> vulnerability something that no one would choose. And of course there's a spectrum here, right? Not just two buckets. But there's also vulnerability that we might choose. Uh, in the same way that Mother Teresa believed that she was called uh, to stand with people in poverty, you probably know there are, um, there are a group of people uh, around the world that are called uh, Christian peacemaker teams. Um, one of the places I went back to this week was the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. Um, right? Blessed are the poor or the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Um, Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, blessed. And, and it, what struck me afresh this week was every one of these people that Jesus says are blessed are vulnerable people. Every single one. Why would they be blessed? Peacemakers, shalom makers, wholeness makers. Well, what these Christian peacemaker teams do is they're dispatched to violent, troubled places in the world. And their motto is to get in the way, which can be understood a couple different ways, right? You remember that the before the church was called the church, before Christians were called Christians, they were called followers of the way. So their motto is to get in the way. 
but they also choose to get in the way. And most of them are people of privilege like us who live in Western cultures, who can travel freely, and they go to places that are, um, there have been Christian, pace, uh, for example, there have been Christian peacemaker teams for a very long time uh, on the border, right, in the West Bank. Um, some of them just stand every day at the checkpoints where people are harassed every day, just to make it a little hard to be a witness to the harassment, hoping that their presence will make it a little easier, that the soldier might make it a, li a little harder for them to harass the next person who comes through if there's someone just standing there watching. Right? But that's vulnerable. I, I have a friend who's done this and he has terrifying stories. Always like to be there and do this kind of work. Right? But that's, that's, voluntarily, that's voluntary vulnerability, right? The people who have to go through that checkpoint every day to go to work, it might take them two or three hours every day to get there and two or three hours to get back, they would choose that vulnerability. But some people choose, right, to be vulnerable themselves, again, not for vulnerability's sake, but as an act of love. Right, vulnerability in the service of another. So I want us just to think, with that kind of notion in mind, that no one is saying that all kinds of vulnerability have to be embraced. There are kinds that we wouldn't blame anyone for wanting to be out from under. But if it's true that God is love and that we serve a vulnerable God, there, there might be plenty of times in our lives when we might choose to be more vulnerable than we already are. And to be clear, we're all vulnerable all the time. No matter how much we admit it, no matter how much we seek to avoid it. So here's a couple things that I thought about that we might do in the coming year. Um, some of you who keep up with things might have known that this past year, which ended at the end of the calendar year, uh, the previous year, uh, church year, the, the Pope had declared the, the year of mercy, which just ended at the, you know, four weeks ago. Not that mercy's ended, let's hope not. <laughs> But it was a special emphasis, the Pope. Now, I'm, I'm not the Pope, clearly. But I wondered if we might declare the coming year in our class, uh, the, the year of vulnerability. And what might that mean? Well. I have some ideas, and again, I'm not the Pope, so I can't sort of announce it, and so it will be. <laughs> but I'm inviting us to consider this. First thing is, um, the new series we're gonna start the middle of January um, is gonna be based on a book by 
Henry Nouwen. Uh, some of you have read some of uh, Henry Nouwen's work. And one of his lesser known works is called Our Greatest Gift, A Meditation on Death and Care. It's remarkable how much energy we expend getting ready to bring a new life into the world. And yet we find it almost impossible about <clears throat> talking about preparing <clears throat> to die. You don't need me to remind you that we're all on our way. We are. And part of me thinks that one way of learning to be vulnerable is, is to think about what would it mean to think, notice he calls it our greatest gift, right? What if opening up the space to talk about dying? What would it mean to die well? Now this used to be an ancient conversation in most civilizations. Had a conversation about how to die well. What, what does it mean to die well? There's not that much conversation in our culture about what it means to die well. Um, we're so, I mean it's hard not to be sort of focused on all of the medical issues that sort of take all of our energy and our focus, understandably. So, and I don't pretend this, that will be an easy conversation, but I, and I'm, I'm not going to pretend to teach that as so much as I am open up the space for us to talk about that and encourage conversation around that. You might, might not be surprised to know, I have no idea where that's going to go. I just think it would be an important thing for us to do. That's one thing in the year of vulnerability. Second thing, a lot of you are in small groups. I'm not, this is not, a, I'm, I'm, I was gonna ask you to raise your hand, don't, don't. Um, a lot of you are in small groups, and I know at some point, do the, how long do the small groups go? Six months, we try for six months. Six months, okay. There are 86 people this time it, in small groups. 86 people in small groups. So that's a huge chunk of us. Here, again, I can't, I can't make this happen, and I wouldn't, if I could, make it happen. But here's one thing I was, I've been thinking about this for a month, trying to decide if I had the courage to say this. So I'm gonna say it before I run out of it. <laughs> Most of you meet to have a meal together. What would happen if, and most of you do that once a month. What would happen if, when you got together for your meal, um, you would set aside a half an hour or 45 minutes of that time around the table, make sure you could hear people, and one person, okay, one person each month in your small group would volunteer to share something of their story. And what I mean by a story, I'm not necessarily thinking of what we sometimes think of as testimony, although that might be part of it. 
But my hunch is, and I, and I could be absolutely wrong about this, and if I am, then just correct me and we'll I'll withdraw the suggestion. But my hunch is that a lot of you have known each other for a very long time. A lot of you don't know hardly anybody here. But even the ones who know each other very long, my hunch is there are some significant parts of your story you have never shared. And I mean significant in the sense that there, there, are, there are things that you have suffered, that you have dealt with, that have shaped who you are as a human being, and there's never really been the space necessarily to share that, or maybe you never felt comfortable sharing it, or maybe it was too hard to share it. And I just want to encourage you to do that. Um, we, I think this class here is as, is as powerful an example of community as we have at Muncie. And yet my hunch is the area for growth that we most need is we, know, we need to know each other at a deeper level. And we won't ever do that unless we hear and hold each other's stories. And there's, there's risk in that. There's risk in that. Um, but I just, I'd ask you to cons consider doing that, to make the space in your small group I mean, in six months, not everyone's going to have a chance to do that, so some of you are going to be off the hook, right? But I'd like to think this might become something we might do. It's just part of who we are. Um, you don't know me if you don't know my story. And I don't know you if I don't know yours. And how well I love you as you, I mean, the real you, not the you that you project, or how will you love me and not, not the me I project, if I don't tell you my story? At least part of it. Can't tell it all in 45 minutes. But we might be able to share a couple things that have, that have been hard, maybe, that have shaped who we are and would help people to understand us. And also, I mean, part of the vulnerability that we all share, Judy talked about it on the weeks that she taught while I was gone, is we all have this anxiety about, you know, would you still love me if you knew who I really was? We all have that anxiety. <coughs> I think the answer is yes, but we don't know unless we actually reveal who we are. You know, one of the other stories I've gone back to this week, saw in a completely new way, and I don't have time to talk about it fully today, is what we call the transfiguration of Jesus. Right? And what I saw there this week that I had never seen before was... Nothing different happens to Jesus in that moment. What happens that's different is the disciples, for the first time, see who he is. It's like the veil is pulled back, and Jesus invites them to see who he really is. 
It's self-revelation of, of Jesus. They see who he is. And it's at that point he begins to tell them where he has to go and what has to happen to him. But nothing new happens to Jesus. And so part of what maybe I'd like our small groups to be about, they don't have to be all about this, but part of an important part of what I'd like our small groups to be about is to have a place where we could say, this is who I am. I want to pull the veil back a little bit and let you see a little bit more of who I am. In the, in the spirit of that, um, I'd ask you to pray for me uh, this week. I'm getting on a plane tomorrow morning with our oldest adopted daughter and part of her family. And we're going to fly to Florida to pack up her biological father's house who died last spring. Um, she was able to sell the house in 24 hours. Uh, so grateful for that, but that also meant she has to get everything out of there by the end of the month. And that's going to be hard for her. It's going to be hard for her. As I, some of you were here the week I told you about her father dying and the closure that there was that was there. Grateful to God for that. But she's already told me it's going to be really hard. Uh, we're going to take five days down there, pack a truck, put it, you know, and she's going to lock the door and she's never going to go back there, right? Um, and she has deep wounds from her father, her biological father, um, who had opportunity. You know, she was a, a product of a, a divorce. She lived with her stepmom and her uh, stepfather. She herself was abused in that situation for eight years. Um, then was taken out of the home. That's how she came to us as a foster child when she was 15. Um, all along that time, her father, her biological father could have taken her back at any point. Never did. So not, always, not only was she rejected by her mother, she was also rejected by her father. So they worked through that some before she died, but it's going to be a hard week for her. Um, it's also going to be a hard week for me. Um, a lot of you know that I lost my father when I was 16. Um, he had a stroke. Um, died within, and I, I never, I was not present when he died, and so never said goodbye. It wasn't like I knew he was going to die. Just woke up one day, and the next day he was gone. A lot of you have experienced that. Um, there's mercy in that. I mean, I've seen lots of you and other friends who've watched your parents uh, get to the point where they didn't even recognize you. I can't imagine that. So, um, but one of the things, um, when you're 16 and younger, you don't really know enough to ask probing questions of your parents. You're just trying to make it live to adulthood, right? <laughs> um, but one of the things that was the challenge with my father is uh, my father wasn't very expressive. I, mean, I, I know my father loved me, but I can't remember my father ever saying it. And it seems like I ought to be able to remember 
Um, I'm sure my father was proud of me. Um, I can never remember my father having said it even once. And so um, I, that means I grew up with a lot of insecurity. Right. Um, I'm still, um, regardless of what, I have no idea what you see, but I can tell you, even as somebody who's 58 years old, I had to do the calculations there. <laughs> even as a 58 year old. A young fellow. A young, a young 58, yeah. Yeah, just spring chicken. Thanks, Walt. I still have a lot of deep insecurities. Um, it affects my teaching, it affects my relationships, um, it affects a lot of things. Um, I didn't find out till after my father died that, because we didn't talk about things in our household, um, that my father was abandoned when he was two years old by his father. Um, so my father had no idea how to be a father. He'd never seen a father up close. Um, he just didn't, he didn't know. I mean, so if he was, I also think he was, he suffered from, he lost his job. Most of the time when I was old enough to remember him, he didn't, he, he was, his employment history, he couldn't hold the job for all kinds of reasons. and. I think he was suffering from depression, although back in the 60s and 70s, no one talked about that. Um, and certainly if you were a man, you couldn't be depressed. You just sucked it up, particularly if you're you know, from the Northeast living in the Midwest. Um, so I think I'm going to wrestle with that this week. That's going to be one of my demons as I'm trying to be present to my daughter. Um, I'm going to be wrestling with my own demons. So ask your prayers for us this week. I think it has trying to, in, I mean, I think there, there can be some, something good that comes out of this week for both of us. Uh, praying that can be the case, that uh, won't run away from that vulnerability, but can somehow kind of embrace it. Um, and encourage us in the year ahead. Uh, one of the beautiful things that this class does is your willingness uh, to step into, be present alongside of other people in this class and in the community and in your lives who are vulnerable. Um, I think we, you know, we can think about the Christmas story. We can ask ourselves, you know, would, what would we have done 2,000 years ago? Would we have welcomed Mary and Joseph into our home? Would we have, would we have welcomed the vulnerable? Um, or would we have said, you know, it's, it's already pretty tight in here tonight. Um, and we can, I can ask myself that question and sort of entertain some answer that may or may not be true, but the truth of the matter is, every day, 
I get a chance to answer that question for real. You know, in that famous passage in Matthew 25, where Jesus says, you know, to the, to the extent that Jesus says, you know, when I was hungry, you fed me, and when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you gave me clothes. And when I was a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was in prison and sick, you visited me. And people said, when did we ever see you any of those? And he said, well, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Jesus doesn't say you did it. It was sort of like you did it to me. He said, you did it to me. So I don't have to actually wonder what I would do if Jesus showed up at my doorstep. Jesus shows up at my doorstep every day. Jesus crosses my path every day in the person of someone vulnerable, because we're all vulnerable. Some people's vulnerability is just more obvious than the others. What am I going to do with that in the coming year? I'm str I struggle with that. I struggle with that. Um, it's one thing to know it in your head. It's another thing to actually <coughs> live that out. Am I willing to see you and to see other people who cross my path? Am I prepared? to welcome Christ in them. That will require vulnerability on our part. It will, as we step into theirs. So that, that's my prayer for us in the coming year. Um, that it might, that God might give us the grace to embrace our vulnerability and not just ours but to be present in the midst of the vulnerability of those in our lives and those who come across our path let's pray Gracious God, you created us as vulnerable human beings, and we believe that is not by accident. We believe in some mysterious sense that this itself is part of what it means to be made in your image, you, a most vulnerable God. And so I pray that by your grace and by your spirit, you might continue to open us up to our own vulnerability and the vulnerability of those around us. May you give us eyes to see you in our midst and in so embracing our vulnerability and in so being present to those who are vulnerable. May we see you anew with greater 
clarity and depth than ever before. And may we do it with delight and joy and love in response to your gracious, vulnerable love to us. We pray this through the one who most clearly demonstrated your vulnerable love, Jesus Christ. <laughs>